Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White. This is mostly historical research today. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some things to you first um, as we get opportunity to look at this together today. Today, I'm looking at the church's way of celebrating the incarnation and the advents of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is one of those subjects that is met more with moans of redundancy than expectant curiosity. After all, haven't we already beat that dead horse enough? Why grinch out? Why do you need to muddy up a great time of family fun? Why not just leave it alone? Who cares anyway? We know he wasn't born December 25th. That is irrelevant. He came sometime, and this is as good a time as any to celebrate his coming. Well, that's an accurate estimation if our faith is a useless fairy tale existence where truth is not all that important. Feeling is important. God will sort it all out sometime. If he wanted us to know, he would have told us. What if he didn't tell us because he knew what we would do with that date? He had given Israel a number of holy days, and he'd already seen how humans deal with the holy. It won't matter to us if our faith is no more than a get-out-of-hell-free card from a God who threw angry tantrums all through the Old Testament, but finally worked out a way to appease his own selfish fits by killing his own son. He's doing pretty good with his angry management now. It won't matter to us if our faith is simply a warm, fuzzy Hallmark movie with heavy emotional swings until the end when all are resolved and live happily ever after. Such discussions of this, this special day won't matter if the holy, righteous, just God really doesn't care anymore how we live since he's paid for it all with Jesus' death on the cross. He merely pats us on the head now and reminds himself that kids will be kids and loves them anyway. It won't matter until you come to the shocking reality that he really does expect us to be holy as he is holy, not just a little better than the culture, to be obedient with our whole being, and that he is going to judge the world with complete fiery destruction for distrusting him, living our own way, and rejecting his son, our Lord and master, with our selfish disobedience. It begins to matter to us when we are shocked to know that we really are accountable to him for our witness of him and his son, for every idle word that comes out of our mouth, for every unforgiving grudge we hold, for, being in his image, taking his name in vain by the way we live so atheistically. Reality creeps in somewhere before we die and start realizing our temporary existence is about to meet the eternal God. It smacks us in the face when we know that our callous, careless lack of obedience or even concern only proves that we have no grasp of his love and find no love for him in our soul. He's the one who said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Surely, somewhere along the way, there must be just a twinge of regret when we see how without Jesus or even thought of him, the whole celebration can be when it is loaded with credit card debt, the pressure of making sure everyone gets the perfect gift, the endless de decorations that ultimately are nothing but temporary aesthetic band-aids on an injured, dying world. 
the pride of life, the lust of eyes and the flesh, having another great Mardi Gras event. We will all comment at some time or another what disappointment we have that somehow it is so commercial, so secular, that it's hard to find Jesus anywhere in it. What is this Holy Day season about? I want to state up front that some of the anti-Christmas diatribes trying to associate it with pagan festivals are quite often shamefully lacking in truth, but loaded up with accusation by association and emotional guilt manipulation. I've been disappointed by the lack of good study and scholarly work that has gone into some of these presentations. People have chosen to celebrate Christmas with things that please them most. Family gatherings, special foods and beverages, gift giving, decorations, singing, laughter, etc. Because some of these same things that are common to all celebrations are done by pagans, also does not make it pagan. There's nothing pagan about singing. If there was, we just did something very pagan here. To, to associate gift-giving as if it's pagan is foolish. If you love your children, you've given them gifts a lot. If you loved anybody, you've given them gifts. That's not pagan. To the degree that it is used can be sinful, but sin is not confined to pagans. Some Protestant groups in their rush to destroy anything papist or Roman Catholic have often taken a route that is without mercy or scriptural respect for the Incarnation and Advent. I agree with their estimation of this celebration as having no merit in Scripture, but sometimes taking the opposite reaction leaves a hollow feeling about the beauty, miracle, and wonder that such an event as the birth of the Son of God deserves. They have by their rancor removed all joy from its remembrance. By the same thought, I'm left just as hollow by those who attempt to turn it into a Disneyland fairy tale of magic and wonder as if ordained by God and all its fake trappings worthy of the Christ child. I sense the pride of performance as if their performance was greater than the event itself. I sense the pride of the aesthetics and Martha-like burden of getting all the essentials for the party that, all will, that will be the talk of the town for years to come. Join me now as I wander through the fields of the past to find what the shepherds found on that night the angels spoke with them. I want to state right up front, if you're looking at your sermon outline, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came. That is an historical event. And what's more, he's coming again. That's also an historical event. I'm also grateful that he came into my life. I am grateful to know that Savior. So any things I'm going to say here today are not meant to demean in any way that this beautiful, miraculous, wonderful, God-only event of a child being born who is the Son of God. There's nothing that can compare to that, guys. There's not a performance that can be done. There's not another singing of the Messiah that's going to measure up to the glory of those angels singing that night. I know we may, we may make our attempts at it, but our attempts are not to be held as lauded. It's the event that's lauded. That's where we're at. And it's that I want to address today. It's the event.
I want to tell us a little bit about how it all got started. But uh, I've done this, this sort of thing before, and that's when I was given things like this. I was given Grinch shirts every Christmas. No, not just Grinch shirts. Listen, I have Grinch underwear. That's, that's when people really love you. You know what I'm saying? I have Grinch hats because my comments were taken as someone who's stealing Christmas. I have no joy in stealing Christmas. I do like truth and I do like reality. And I want to talk about that. So here we go. When did the event happen? Historically, the holiday of Advent is a, member of, a number of days long. Now, Advent is way up in medieval period, okay? So we're, we're looking anywhere from the 900s to the 1300s. Fair enough? So this is not what they did in the first century. First century, no Christmas. Not a, what they were acknowledging was that Christ died and was resurrected. So the big deal to them was not the birth of Christ, but the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. That's what they celebrated. And mind you, they celebrated it at Passover. Why? Because that's when it happened. Everybody follow me? But after a while, when the church decided it would unify itself, they decided we need a universal date. So they came up with a universal day for Easter. That's what they did with what's called Christmas. Okay, so here's, here's the deal. Advent. Advent starts on the first day of December, or actually for many it started mid-November. Advent was considered another one of those 40-day festivals. It was a 40 days of, uh, matter of fact, it's, it was another Lent. There were three Lents. There was a Lent that happened before Easter, the Lent that happened before Christmas, and a Lent that was midsummer. Okay? And that, what that did, that gave people 40 days of concentrated thought. That's what it was about. That's what any period is, of that is supposed to be about. It, it wasn't about TV. Didn't have any. It wasn't about the Internet. Didn't have it. It wasn't about watching some program. They didn't have it. What they gave them was Scripture readings. They gave them celebrations, things to do that would keep their mind occupied with Christ. That was the goal. Did it get messed up? Every human thing I know, and every human thing you know if you think about it, gets messed up somewhere along the way because it's run by humans. Right? Well, it runs until the 24th, and the 24th of December. And this is primarily a preparation time that included fasting. Much of what they did during that period of time was fasting so they could get prepared. They'd have their heart prepared for the coming of the Messiah. At midnight on the 24th, Christ's Mass was convened and celebrated. You understand that Christmas means Christ's Mass. Now, I know this. Most of you do not attend Mass. Uh, some of you who may be formerly Catholic may believe that you're coming to Mass here. You're not. Uh, I remember there was uh, someone who was pretty fresh with their conversion said, what time is Mass this morning? And I looked at him and said, what? 
He said, what time is Mass this morning? I said, I, I have no idea what you're asking. I, I don't keep up with their schedule. And he said, no, our Mass, the one we have at our church. I said, we don't have a Mass at our church. A Mass is the re-celebration of Christ's death. A Mass is the point at which a priest confers upon the elements a transubstantiation that makes those elements the real body and the real blood of Jesus Christ so that when you take them, you are eating the real body and the real blood of Jesus Christ. That's why it's called a sacrament. A sacrament means it's giving you some grace. It's giving you part of your salvation. So each time you take it, you're getting a little more of your salvation. You're not going to get fully saved until you take all of the sacraments and you do them with faithfulness. You follow where we're coming from? I don't think any of you are engaged in anything like that. But we're still going to call it Christ Mass. Let me go further. From the 25th day until January 6th, which was called Epiphany. Why January 6th? Because calendars get mixed up. And because calendars get mixed up, trying to find when Christmas was going to be, for the Eastern people, it fell on the 6th of January. For the Western people, it fell on the 25th of December. So to make a good deal between both of them, they called it the 12 days of Christmas. And that's what the song is about. On the first day of Christmas, this happened. And that's supposed to be a feast you're supposed to really celebrate after the 25th because that's when good things happened, all right? And all I want to say is there's no biblical reason for it, not one. But further, neither is there a pagan reason for it. So for those who want to make it all a pagan situation, you haven't got ground either. It's not a biblical fount. It's not a, a pagan thing. Why December 25th? Are you ready for this? This is a cool one. Jesus, our Jewish proverbial thought was that God's prophets died on the same day they were conceived. Christ was crucified on March 25th. So in this thought, Christ was conceived on March 25th. If he's conceived on March 25th, then he's born nine months later on December 25th. There's no biblical justification for this either. But neither is there a pagan root of it. Everybody following where coming from? Now, let me tell you why some people say. They say all the Christians are trying to do was Saturnalia. Saturnalia was a winter feast of the Romans that was held from the 17th of December till the 23rd of December, not on the 25th. 17th to 23rd, and it was the celebration of the winter solstice. It was a celebration on a party time because it's at that time because winter was about to set in and people didn't want to have to keep their flocks over the winter because sometimes they would die in the winter. So they went ahead and butchered them. That meant there was more meat available during that time than any other time. The harvest was over, so there was more wine available than at any other time. 
you know, it takes wine a little while to come from just being grape juice into being wine. So by the time they got both of those put together, it was time to celebrate and have a party. And so they did on Saturnalia. Saturn was the, uh, the god of fertility for the ground and, and for the farmers and agriculture. And so they were having big parties and celebrations for him. That's why it was called Saturnalia. There was another day that was on December 25th. It's called Sol Invictus. That meant the birth of the sun. But let me share this with you. The first indication that Christians were trying to understand the date of Christ's birth, we can find as early as 222. At 222, the Christians, uh, especially uh, one called Julius Africanus, they were trying to put together a universal history a history that shows the histories of all peoples and a history of the church and a history of God's people. And they're trying to put it all together. So they started doing calculating through the scriptures and through other little sources they came up with. And Julius Africanus came up with this thought that creation happened 5,500 years before Christ. And he projected that creation started... And Adam and Eve were created on March 25th. And he further said, Jesus then was born on March 25th, which nine months later is going to be December 25th. If all we're coming from, they speculated on when he was conceived, not when he was born. So they were saying, that's when he comes into the world. When Jesus' incarnation takes place, that's when he comes into the world. So that's the date they counted. Everybody follow where I'm at? That's the date they counted. That was in 222. Sol Invictus, the birth of the sun, didn't come about till 274, 50 years later. So let me ask you, who's copying who? Kids, to get real candid about this, there is so much switching back and forth about who's copying what that it's hard to tell who's really doing the originating. Let me go further with you. In a few moments, I'll offer you a, a, a different date. Is Christian a former pagan holiday? No, it's not. There is no evidence that indicates the church sought to duplicate pagan festivals. Because, because the church sang songs does not make it pagan. Everybody sings songs. Some of your celebrations, I bet when you get together, you sing some songs somewhere along the way. Even if it's happy birthday, you're going to sing some songs somewhere along the way. That's not that, that, you, that people give gifts. That's not pagan. That's people. That's a human thing. All right? Sol Invictus was created as December 25th after the date for the birth was set by the church as December 25th. Another church writer writing in 221 and 222, wrote that he understood the conception of Christ was April 2nd. What were they going for? Passover. They were looking at Passover as the conception. Why? Because they believed that prophets died on the same day they were conceived. So they're looking for that date. That's why they came up with the date. All right. Aren't Christmas trees pagan? No. There's no evidence any culture decorated evergreen trees with gifts under them. 
Now, let me share this. There was an old thing called a Yule log. You ever heard of a Yule log? A Yule log was oak, not evergreen, and was big. It was made to burn all night. It was made to make sure that there was a good hot fire all the time. That Yule log was in, um, kept in a, a massive fireplace, and it was, it was meant to be a good burning log. But it was oak. Why? Because the people considered oak sacred. In, at the top of the oak tree, which was a sacred tree, you would often find something still green in the winter. That still green stuff, they started taking down and saying, if this is still green, it must be something fertile in it. So they wanted to try to eat it and do all, you know what that green stuff was called on the top of the tree? It's called mistletoe. And when you cut it down, it was believed that if you stood under it, this mistletoe would give you some fertility powers. Most of the things done at that time in pagan ways were for fertility, were to have a good spring. Most of the reason they're celebrating the birth of the sun is because it got so stinking dark. And when it was that longest day, then they knew that when the longest day happens, that winter solstice, when that takes place, the sun's going to come back again. And the days are going to get longer instead of being so short and the nights so long. So they started celebrating that sort of thing. Fire reminded them of the sun, so they used fire with that quite a little bit. But can I say, fire is not pagan. Fire is common to us all. How you use something will determine whether it's going to be pagan or not, all right? Aren't Christmas trees pagan? No. Allegedly, and I'm saying allegedly because I wasn't there. I didn't see it. Matter of fact, I wasn't there for any of this stuff. I'm counting on somebody else's study for a whole lot of things, okay? Martin Luther was on a walk home one night, and on his walk home, it was a night in which was brilliant with moonlight, stars shining, and as he's walking past a forest, he looked up into the, uh, a, a big fir tree that was there, and he saw all the stars shining right through it. And he fell to his knees, overwhelmed by the beauty and the awesomeness of that sight, and thought, how can I express to people? How can I help my children know what I just saw? You'd have to see it to believe it, you know, you have to, you have to be there. So he cut down a small fir tree himself and brought it home for his kids. And he put candles in it so that they could see what the stars looked like as they were shining through it. They were not worshiping a fir tree. He was trying to tell them of the magnificence of their God. Well, that caught on among Germans, but Germans were the only ones who did it. So how did it ever get here? Okay, that's 1500s. Queen Victoria married Prince Albert. Prince Albert was a German. Prince Albert asked the queen, can we celebrate Christmas the way I celebrate Christmas? She said, what do you do? He said, I'd like to get a big fir tree. Okay, and he cut down a fir tree and he put it in the living room or the courtroom, whatever. I don't know, they live in palaces, so I'm just going to share with you whatever a big room is. All right. And they put lights on it. The local newspaper found out about that. Queen Victoria said, 
You know, St. Nick's holiday had been the 6th of, de- of, Je- of, of December. Why don't we take the gifts and put them under your tree? So they put gifts under the tree. When that local newspaper saw it, they came, made sketches of it, interviewed them, talked about how wonderful it is, what a beautiful sight this is. This is just a wonderful thing. 1880s, kids. 1880s. Everybody follow me? They published that, and all the English people read that and saw that beautiful sketch, and they began to cut down trees themselves and put lights in them and put their gifts under them. The Christmas card companies then, which were not Christmas cards, they were just greeting cards, took those same pictures and stylized them. And they began to sell them, so people took those Christmas cards and sold them. You get the marketing plan here? This thing went on word of mouth everywhere. We've had Christmas trees since the 1880s, not since the beginning. It had nothing to do with the Romans. It had nothing to do with the Greeks. They didn't do any of that. And for those who are going to bring up Jeremiah and say, Jeremiah told us that you're not supposed to go down and cut trees and decorate them with silver and gold and so forth. Jeremiah was talking about cutting down a tree and turning it into an idol. If you read the whole chapter instead of just the one that sounds like a proof text, Jeremiah's not talking about decorating a tree in your house. He's talking about cutting down a tree and carving it into a statue that you can put all kinds of things on and give it life. Matter of fact, in the, in the chapter, he goes on to say, yeah, and the part that you don't use for the idol, you can throw in a fire and keep warm. Idols are nothing. That's what he was trying to get across. Idols are nothing. Well, anyway, all right, so let me offer you uh, an alternative date, all right? Zacharias was a priest, and that's why you had Luke chapter 1. So let's just take a look at Luke chapter 1 just for a moment, shall we? <clears throat> Luke chapter 1. I know this looks like we've not had any Bible this, this morning at all, and this is a Bible church, and you're supposed to do Bible the whole time. Yes, I, I, what I want to do is try to take away some of the uh, sting that comes out of this holiday. Verse 5 of chapter 1. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord, and the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Now, I want you to note something. Zacharias is not a high priest. He is not doing this. This is not the day of atonement. So he's not doing, he's not, that's not his category. His wife is of the sons of Aaron. He's not. So he's not a priest of the right line to be doing a, a day of atonement, sacrifice. He's burning incense. That was the, they set up, I think, nine courses. Over the year then, uh, each of the guys would serve two weeks. 
Sometimes you'd have to serve three or five even if you were at one of the festival times. So you'd have your, your two weeks, and then you'd have a, a week or two of, that would follow that of whatever the festival was. The course of Abijah, by those who calculated this thing back, was during the time of Pentecost. So Abijah was two weeks, the course for Zacharias was two weeks before Pentecost. So he finishes those two weeks. He comes in around Pentecost, which is about June, early June. So he comes in at Pentecost, and he's told what it says here. The angel appeared to him and standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled. Fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He'll also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He will turn away many He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. We all know this is the birth of John the Baptist that's being talked about, all right? Um, Zacharias uh, kind of puts up a little argument there, and then the angel strikes him dumb. He doesn't get to talk. Pick up on verse 26. Now, in the sixth month, that's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, okay? So she's in her sixth month. The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a woman whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary and have come in. The angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. All right. So during her sixth month, there is an announcement that's going to be given to Mary. That's going to put it at around December. So the angel is coming to make an announcement to Mary that you're going to have a child too. It's going to be a child of God. It's going to be the Son of God. This is a holy thing that's going to happen to you. Holy Spirit's going to do it. She conceives at that announcement. That makes it about December 25th or mid-December. So she is conceiving in December, not birthing in December. Everybody follow where I'm at? That means that the birth is going to take place early to mid-September at the Feast of Trumpets. Why wouldn't it be Feast of Trumpets? He dies at Passover. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. He's born on the Feast of Trumpets, announcing and heralding that the King has come. You say, do you know you're right about that? I'm as right as the 25th of December. (laughs) Amen? That's why I propose, guys, why don't we do that Advent at Sukkot. Because here's the deal. Feast of Trumpets starts this thing. And then 10 days later, in those days of awe, comes the Day of Atonement. And then seven days later comes Sukkot, which is a major celebration with them. They're getting together in booths. They are sharing the harvest with each other. They're sharing apples. They're sharing everything they've got. 
And they're having a party, kids. John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. See that word dwelt? Guess what the Greek word is? Tented. Boothed. Tabernacled. What was John telling us? That Jesus was born around the time of tabernacles. That's when God is with us. That's when Emmanuel makes sense. Do you remember? That's what's supposed to take place. Sukkot is supposed to be the celebration of God with us. They're supposed to remember that they lived in tents and they looked right there at the center of the camp and there was this pillar of fire, this pillar of smoke, this cloud. That's what they saw because God was with them. What fitting time it is that God would be with us at tabernacles. I offer that as a suggestion. It's at that time of the year where all the festivals are taking place that you'd find shepherds in the field watching over their flock by night. It's at that time when they come to the shepherds and said, you'll find the babe lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. That means something to shepherds. Shepherds keep their sheep in mangers. And what's more, as soon as the sheep is born, they wrap it in swaddling clothes so it won't get any blemish on it. Why? You can't offer blemished things to the Lord. So they wrapped them in swaddling clothes to keep them clean. So when those angels tell them that, where do you think the shepherds know to go look? In their own stables. Wow. I think God's awesome. And that's not just today. I'm on page two. How much time I got? I call this one, Oh Christmas, What Ails Thee? Let's get this down. Is such a thing as Christmas commanded in Scripture? No. Is it necessary? No. Is it supported by Scripture? No. Is it defiled? Yes. And I'm going to qualify that yes. If it doesn't really exist, it can't be defiled. What, what right do we have to make any day a holiday? I understand how we can make any day a special day. But by what authority do we have to make a day a holy day? You can make a day, any day you want to a holy day. But you can't make it the calendar holy day. God has one set of holy days. And he didn't give the church a different one. He gave us the biblical holidays. All right. Well, let me give, give you a letter B here. It's bitter opposition by many Protestant groups. Man, let me tell you, once, once the uh, Protestants uh, broke away from the church, man, they got hostile. Uh, they, they decided they wanted to have everything done sola scripture. If it's not in scripture, we're not going to do it. If it's in scripture, we don't add to it, we don't take away from it. So, they did away with everything. In many places, they banned any Christmas celebrations at all. 
And that's pretty easy to understand. The way people have been treating it, and get that, that's what I'm trying to tell you, the way they had been treating it defiled it. It was horrible. Some of the things they were doing, some of the things they did that were anti-Semitic was terrible. Our, our church does not have a wonderful history when it comes to every part of it. Many of the things we did were not holy by any stretch of the imagination. All right? But the bitter opposition came to the point that when the, let's, let's take the group Puritans, when they came here, they banned Christmas totally. You could not, as a matter of fact, they wanted you to have your shops open on Christmas Day just to show that you are not honoring that day. They, had, uh, they, they would fine you five shillings if you were caught being happy on Christmas Day. Because that might mean you're trying to celebrate this, this Christmas time. Any family gatherings could not be done on that day. And you say, well, boy, I'm glad that. Not when the founding fathers were here. Guess what? When the founding fathers were creating this great country, there was no Christmas. Nobody was doing Christmas. It had been banned. It had been outlawed. There was bitter opposition to this day, or this celebration known as Christmas. And there's good reason for it. There is a tendency to borrow and appropriate from culture, and, and uh, that's prohibited by scriptures, but often practiced by the church. Do we borrow anything from the culture? Sure we do, all the time. Uh, the, it's, it's the culture that has decorations and Christmas, all that stuff. That's the culture that does that. It's the economic culture that drives us to get gifts and to get fine gifts and that, that sort of thing. You understand where I'm coming from? We're borrowing all the time. It comes to musical instruments. We're borrowing all the time. Sometimes we borrow so much it's embarrassing. When some of our services look more like a rock concert than they do like a service of worship, Guys, that's borrowing from the culture. And that does happen to us. And, and we, we can borrow some things from pagans that we should never have done. I know the, uh, I, I, like, I like Christmas caroling. I think uh, Trail Life is going Christmas caroling pretty soon here. I, I, I like, but Christmas caroling is a modification of the old wassail. Wassail is where the employees of a town would get together and they would go form singing groups to sing to the owners and the proprietors of the businesses because their wages weren't real good. So they go sing outside their home demanding that they give a gift to them, that their owner gives them some kind of a Christmas gift. Put that in the context of a Christmas carol with good old Scrooge, and you'll understand what that's about. You understand where I'm coming from? We do borrow things. And the culture borrows from us. So if I can say, letter D, the theft of a Christian holy day by the culture. And I'm saying it this way. The world knows a prophet when they see it, even if they don't know a prophet when he appears. <laughs> Listen, if there's a way to capitalize on it, sell trees, sell lights, sell everything you possibly can, sell all the decorations, and sell people in the idea that you need to have a bigger tree than your neighbor does. You need to have more decorations out front than your neighbor does. You need to have more and more and more and more. And you, you need to have this Christmas present. Listen, I am so grateful for Mattel who made the Fanner 50. 
If you never had a Fanner 50, you weren't a boy. I had a Fanner 50 every Christmas. My own cap gun. Oh, man. Rethinking its purpose and finding it, owning it. Biblical support. Ask, why are we doing what we're doing? What does this have to do with Jesus? You know, if you want to have a winter festival, have a winter festival. If Jesus is not going to be the center of it, don't call it Christmas. It's a winter festival. You're having a good time. Why shouldn't you party? But why act like it's Jesus' birthday if that's not what you're doing it for? Don't be a hypocrite about it. And make sure that whatever things you're going to practice are done in spirit and truth. You got some biblical support for why you might want to do what you're doing? Please, don't, don't, don't come up with, we're giving gifts because uh, the, the wise men did. Stop it. That's not what you give gifts for. You give gifts because you want to. You give gifts because you love somebody. Don't, don't try to make it spiritual sounding because the wise men came. Are you giving that gift the same way? You remember what they gave that gift for? They knew he was the king. Are you giving your gift because you know they're the king? Rethinking Bible's holidays, period. We do the letter of the Spirit. Listen, God has ordained holy days, but we ignore them. Uh, we, we keep telling ourselves, we're not Jewish. Law's done. We don't have to do that. He's the one to set up the calendar, not the Jewish people. And he set it up for remembrances. You understand what I'm saying? Remembrances and gathering so that you would all remember the same thing. That's what you're supposed to gather at Passover for, so that you all remember the same thing, and that you all stay on the same page. That's what he made the holy days for. God has ordained the Sabbath, but we ignore it. Listen, I thought this was hilarious. Don't add to or take away from, right? So here come all sorts of Protestant groups who say they're not going to add to or take away from it. Sola Scriptura. Then they come to the Sabbath and say, but we're not doing that one. What? Yeah, we're going to move it to the next day. By what authority are you moving the next day? I thought you said it's sola scriptura. How are you moving the Sabbath from one day to the next day? Oh, there's all kinds of glorious things that come out of it. Kids, either it's sola scriptura, and that's what you're going to stick to, or it's sola scriptura sorta, until I need to change it. Does that make sense? So they, they made everything that you would do on a Jewish Sabbath on the Sunday Sabbath. Some of you might remember blue laws, where you couldn't buy anything on a Sunday. Uh, you could get prescriptions, I think, if your ox was in the ditch, you could buy a prescription for your um, ox. Um, but they didn't have business on Sunday. The thought of having an athletic game on Sunday was abandoned. There was no such thing. But that's not where we're at now. Because the culture's powerful. And, well, doggone it, football's fun. <laughs> Jesus practiced and followed the Bible's holy days. He's the one that gave them. 
they have meaning to God. They mean something to him. Jesus also fulfilled them in his own life, yet the principle of them still exists. Why does he give the Sabbath? That the man may rest. Is there a biblical principle involved with resting? You bet there is. Um, let me go further. We don't have time for all of those today. Rethinking holy days as an individual or as a family. As long as you're not violating Scripture or its principles, you appear to have liberty to glorify God in your chosen way without judgment. You want to decorate your home with all the red and the green in the world? Go right ahead. But if you think that everybody's supposed to be decorating their home in red and green, stop. That's where you end. Your front door is where it ends. Do you understand where we're coming from? And, and you don't have the right to tell somebody, you shouldn't do that, or you should be doing this. If it's not in the Scripture, you can't tell them that. And stop it. But what you do must be done to the glory of Christ with thanksgiving. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father by him. Everybody follow where I'm at? If you can't do it that way, why are you doing it? You belong to Christ. You don't belong to you anymore. Your days are about him. Do you think he can't give you a better celebration than you think you can create? Rethinking Holy Days as a community. What about Edgemont Bible Church? What are we supposed to do? Rethinking Holy Days as a community need to be agreed upon due to biblical support. How we decorate the church. When people put lilies in here on uh, the Resurrection Sunday, are we supposed to be offended by that? When people change the colors of things, the color scheme, like it reflects spring or respects fall, are, are we supposed to be offended by those things? Yet a Christmas tree offends. Why? We put banners up. They don't offend. Why? Brothers and sisters, agreed upon things make all the difference in the world. But those agreed upon things must be for the glory of Christ with thanksgiving. If they're not, why would we do it? The church is to reflect the glory of Christ and thanksgiving. It is, there's nothing wrong with celebrating, friends. If, if, if anybody gets in and you think, Mr. Grinch is telling us we can't celebrate, I don't want to steal your Christmas. I don't want anything to do with it, with stealing it, if you understand where I'm coming from. I just want us to be genuine, to be authentic. Why are we doing what we do? What should it reflect? If we're putting it up because it's pretty, just say. We're pretty because it's pretty. Unless you're going to give it some holy thing, don't act like you're giving it some holy thing. You're not. You're doing it for you. If you're doing it for what your neighbors will think of you, you better need to think your way through that, don't you? You need to ask yourself some real serious questions. Why? 
Why am I doing this? No, I don't think it was December 25th. And no, I don't like the way that every store in the area is maxed out with all the appeal, the eyes of the flesh, the, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's all over it. That doesn't reflect Christ, and you know it. We know who Christ is. We will have to capture whatever we're going to do for the glory of Christ and not let them set for us what those holidays look like. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ and his glory among us. Thank you for the things that you're doing and the things you're working out in us. We pray for Christ's sake that you will open our hearts to truth and let us really celebrate your miraculous birth. Thank you that Jesus did come, and we'll give you praise for it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.